Good evening, church. It's so good to be with you again as we gather together to study the Bible. I want to remind you as we get started tonight that this coming Sunday, May 3rd, we have homecoming. And we get to do something special for that this year, don't we? We are gathering together for our drive-in service. Just outside here, I'm in the fellowship hall right now, of course. And just outside here in the yard is where we're going to be gathering. We want you to be here by 9 o'clock in the morning. And you can find out more about that in the letter that we've sent you in the mail, as well as on our website, fbcgraygables.com. You'll be getting more information about that through uh, the website and Facebook will be reminding you of these things as we get closer and closer to this coming Sunday. I can't wait to see you, church. Well, let's get to the Word now. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 12 through 19 tonight. A little bit longer of a passage than what we've been doing lately, um, but I think we're up to the task, don't you? Look at, let's look together at, at starting now at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. Paul writes this, Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Whew, this is going to be a fun one, church. Let's get into it now. Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll study it together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we, we stand tonight trembling on the threshold of the biblical text, and we see the beauty of your word. We see the sufficiency of of your word. Lord, you've shown us over and over again that it is more delicious than honey, that it is treasured beyond all riches, Lord, that it is everything we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, would you work now in our hearts? Help me to proclaim this word boldly. Help us. Would you open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the beauty of your word, that we would guard it, treasure it, keep it in our hearts, Lord, that we may not sin against you. And Lord, may we transmit it. May we declare this word to others. Because Lord, your word is worthy of declaring from the mountaintops. So Lord, help us now. We love you. We treasure you above all things. Help us. Help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, now if... Let's just say for tonight, for, for the sake of conversation, that tonight after, after Bible study, uh, that you stumble across a video on the internet, a, a, this, a video that scientifically, historically, proves that Jesus is still dead. What if you found a video like that? Would your life be any different? If you were suddenly convinced that Jesus never rose from the grave, would your life be any different? 
Would you still try to hold on to a Christian moral code? Would you hold on to Christian principles? Would you still go to church? Would you read the Bible? Would you pray? Would you share the gospel even? You know, and as we've studied for this, uh, this series in 1 Corinthians, we've seen that Christianity really hinges upon this gospel. The gospel which Paul has been preaching. He, has, he wasn't proclaiming an opinion, a moral code, a philosophy, a self-help mantra, or even a political agenda, a political platform. He was proclaiming news. News about a person. A historical person who acted in the events of history. Remember uh, yeah, how he told us back in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter that the gospel is, cue the memory verse, right? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul told the Corinthians that the church or the gospel, and therefore the church, hinges upon, really, these two historical events, these two historical acts of Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection. Verifiable, historical events. Either he truly did these things, or he didn't. And these historical events have a direct impact. Hear that. These historical events have a direct impact on you, right where you are, right now. And from the passage we have tonight, we can see that there was a growing number of people within the church at Corinth that were doubting any kind of resurrection of the dead, let alone that of Jesus. And if the, and, and if the statistics are true, sadly, church, one out of four Christians today would agree with them. Let me just say that again. If the statistics are true, one out of four Christians today would agree, thinking that whether or not there's a resurrection, whether or not there's eternal life, that it's still a good thing to live a life holding on to Christian morals, Christian business principles, and serving others. That you don't have to believe in the resurrection to be a good Christian. That should, that should be unsettling to us, Right? There's a, there's, there, there is a, a number, a large one, apparently, that would believe that you don't have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus or in resurrection at all to be a good Christian. The problem, though, is, is this, church, and we're going to come back to this again and again tonight. Beliefs have consequences. Beliefs have consequences you know, they don't keep to themselves over in their own little box, in, a, in their own little corner. If allowed to, they will take over everything else. And they will have a drastic impact on your life, either for good or for bad. So the, tonight, our main idea, for our main idea tonight, I want, to ask us, I want us to ask ourselves a question. What if there is no resurrection from the dead? What if there is no resurrection from the dead? First, in verses 12 and 13, we can see that if there is no resurrection from the dead, the Bible tells us then that Jesus is still dead. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus is still dead. 
Look at verse 12. Paul wrote, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. The key point of the gospel and the Christian faith is the resurrection of Jesus. We see that in how Paul has led up to tonight's passage over the past several weeks. I want you to see the theme that's playing out here. The, the gospel is, the, center, is the, centrality, or the central focus of the Christian life. And the central focus of the gospel is historical events and historical testimony. Eyewitness testimony. Paul wrote that back in verse 1, that this gospel in which we stand, by which we're being saved, and that we must hold fast to, verse 2, is that Christ died, verse 3, was buried, and was then raised on the third day according to the scriptures, verse 4, and then appeared to Peter and the twelve, in verse 5, to more than 500 brothers at once, verse 6, then to James, to all the apostles, verse 7, and lastly to Paul himself, verse 8. Paul was one of hundreds of eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. And not only did he see Jesus, but he interacted with him and was commissioned by the resurrected Jesus to be an apostle. Paul understood that he didn't deserve that honor. We saw that in verse 9. But then by God's grace, he is in Christ. And he has been sent out as an apostle to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles. Gentiles just like you and me. Verse 10. The Corinthians believed... They were reconciled to God and were banded together as a church family, all because of God's work through the preaching of the gospel by Paul and others. You see that in verse 11. So in verse 12, Paul pivots now. He, he takes this, this, all that we've seen before is the setup for now in verse 12. And he says, If Christ's resurrection is what we've preached to you, then how can you say that there's no resurrection? If this historical event is the very cornerstone of the faith that you claim, then why on earth would you categorically deny its truth? You're choosing to take on a belief that is hostily opposed to the truth of the gospel. Because if the resurrection of the dead can't happen, then Jesus' dead body is still laying around here somewhere. And that's a, that's, that is a terrifying thought to behold. And notice that Paul continues to tug at this thread. He, he's not going to uh, leave this sitting. Again, because beliefs have consequences. Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is still dead. And look at number two. Then preaching the gospel is in vain and it's false. Preaching the gospel is in vain and it's false. Look there at the beginning of verse 14. Paul says, if, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Then he expands on that a little bit more at the beginning of verse 15. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Paul's saying that if this were true, that the gospel would not be able to do what he and the others have claimed. Because it relies on the resurrecting power of God to save and transform the lives of sinners. If that power doesn't exist, or even worse, if God has chosen to withhold that resurrecting power even from his own son, then the gospel can't save. Nor could it ever. And what's 
what's worse then is that the gospel is saying that God did something that he didn't do. If God didn't raise Jesus and the gospel we preach says that he did, then what is the gospel? It's a lie. Without the resurrection, then the gospel is a lie and everyone that proclaims it then, including Jesus himself, would be a liar. Right. If, if, if the resurrection didn't happen, if Jesus didn't raise, then even Jesus was a liar because he preached again and again and again how he would die and how he would raise again on the third day. It's a lie. And, and you see, once we start down this path of choosing which parts of the Bible we believe, and see, this is the key here. This is the key. In order for, this, in order for us to get to this point, then at some point that means we made a choice. In order for us to believe that Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we made a choice that, we're going to, that we are now in a position where we can choose which parts of the Bible we're going to believe and which parts of the Bible we're not going to. That is a dangerous decision to make, friend. Because, again, beliefs have consequences. You're essentially making your own finite human mind a higher standard of truth, a, a, a higher uh, arbiter, chooser of what is true and what is not than God himself and his word. And then we, but again, it doesn't stay there, right? We, we then must be willing to concede that not only does the, could the Bible be wrong in even little details here and there, but in major doctrines like this, the resurrection of the dead. And before too long, then we have to begin to wonder, can we really trust God in anything that he says? Do you see the slippery slope that once we start saying, well, maybe this isn't true over here, but everything else holds up you eventually will get to the point where you cannot believe any of it. That with, once you start pulling at threads with the Bible, it will collapse like a house of cards in your mind. Your, your ability to be able to trust the Bible is, is hindered. It is destroyed. And if this belief leads me to believe that Jesus himself was a liar then why would I even want to believe in him? See, that's the danger of pursuing, pursuing this kind of thinking. Because if there is no resurrection from the dead, as the Bible is showing us here, then Christ is still dead, preaching the gospel is in vain and false witness. And, number three, then our faith is in vain and, and sin and death win. Our faith is then in vain and sin and death win. And I want you to follow me very carefully here. Look at the end of verse 14. Paul wrote that without the resurrection, not only was his preaching in vain, he says, your faith also is in vain. That's the problem. He, and he expands that on, on that in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. And look where he goes here. You are still in your sins. God's resurrection proved that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was accepted and that this gift of eternal life that Jesus offers is, is legit. Look at what Paul told the Ephesians in, in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Ephesians 1, verse 18. Paul, says, Paul prays this for the, for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
that you will know, one, what is the hope of his calling, two, what are the riches of his glory of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and then three, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Now, take all three of those things. And then look at the connection that Paul makes in the back half of verse 19. He says this, These, 1, 2, and 3, are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this, in this age, but also in the age to come. Think of that. Number one, the hope of our calling. Number two, his inheritance in us, our security, our safety in him. And three, his power toward us. The power working to save, transform, guard, keep, glorify us in the end. All of that is tied, unbreakably tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that. The Bible is saying that. That's what Paul is saying here. These things are unbreakably tied to Jesus' resurrection. So without it, we have no hope, no inheritance, no security, no safety, no power guarding, transforming, keeping, saving us, no eternal life, no, no reconciliation with God. Spurgeon put it this way. If Jesus Christ is not risen, he has done nothing for you. You are not saved. You are not pardoned. You are not renewed. It is all a myth, all a piece of deceit. If the fact be given up, if that fact be given up, that Christ rose from the dead, everything connected with salvation is also given up. But isn't it interesting here, like we saw in, there in verse 17, that Paul rests the truth, still rests all of this, on the truth of God's existence. Back in verse 15, he said that if the gospel is not true, then those who proclaim it are in fact what? misrepresenting God. But then look at verse 17. If Christ, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Look at this, friend. You are still in your sins. The fact remains that if Christ has not been raised, then he failed to be the wrath-removing sacrifice for you and me. That means God is still considering us his enemies right now. This is the same God who said in Ezekiel, the soul that sins shall die. Or in, um, in Exodus 34, he says, but he will no, by no means clear the guilty. And if that's the case, friends, then only the first half of Romans 6.23 is true. For the wages of sin is death. And there's nothing to follow. Do you see the corner you paint yourself into when you start to tamper with what the truth of the Bible is. When you start choosing what you will and won't believe. Look at where that leads us. Beliefs really do have consequences. No resurrection. No, a, a dead, unsuccessful Savior. A worthless faith. And you're still in your sins. Then what does that mean for those who have died trusting in Christ? Paul even, Paul thinks of that by God's grace and shows us in verse 18. He says, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And that word perished there, that should sound familiar to us. 
That's the same word that John uses in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Literally, it means to be destroyed. To, be, to believe these things is to believe that Christ failed to save his people. From cease, not from ceasing to exist, right? This isn't annihilationism. You don't just get snuffed out and you cease to exist. No, there is more after death. Instead, it means that Christ, if this is all true, then Christ failed to save his people from an eternity under the Father's wrath in hell. And it would mean that there's no hope of life beyond death, but a promise of everlasting guilt, shame, fear, and torment in hell. It would mean that all we have that's good is right here and right now. And you might say to yourself, just like I've heard people say before, but well then, then we've got it good now, don't we? Right? I mean, I could at least live according to Christian morals and help others and at least make this life a little better for somebody else, right? I mean, if this is all we've got, I mean, what would Jesus do? Isn't it the spiritual thing to do? Well, look at Paul's response in verse 19. Considering the, the devastation that this one belief, really unbelief, can cause, Paul says this, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, then we are of all men most to be pitied. We are of all men most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is still dead, preaching this gospel is in vain and a false witness of God. Our faith is in vain and sin and death win. And the sad truth then, the sad result is then, number four, we ought to be the most pitiful people on earth. There are many today that would deny the resurrection but say that Jesus was a good moral teacher. You've probably heard people say that. You might say that yourself if you're watching this. Uh, but think about it, my friend. If you, if you choose to deny the resurrection, therefore you believe that everyone preaching the gospel, including Jesus himself, was a liar and is a liar. Then how, would you, how could you bring yourself to trust anything that came out of Jesus' mouth? If Jesus is a liar, Jesus' entire, entire ministry was based on his death and resurrection and training up 12 men to proclaim the good news can, of, of, of his death and resurrection. Those men suffered greatly proclaiming his message. Most of them died because of him. Countless others have done the same across the centuries. So if there is no resu resurrection, then what Karl Marx said is true. That religion is just the opiate the, of the masses. Dulling our senses to the cold, harsh reality of this life. But not until we're swept away into, into oblivion. But into everlasting torment under the very real wrath of a very real God in hell. That may be the greatest tragedy I've ever heard. And people would have very real grounds to pity the church. Most of all people in the world. If that were the case. Remember, we started, ourselves, we started out this, tonight asking ourselves this question. What if there is no resurrection from the dead? And we said that 
then Christ is still dead, preaching the gospel is vain and a false witness. Uh, our faith is, va- is in vain and sin and death would win. We ought to be the most pitiful people on earth. But, but we know better, don't we, church family? We've been moving slowly yet surely through this chapter as Paul's made a solid case for the resurrection of Christ as a historical event. Proven true by the eyewitness testimony of over 500 people. That changes everything, church. So then let's think about our points again. If the resurrection is true and the, the Bible shows it to be true, proves it to be true because of, it was written by an eyewitness in the, it, within the lifetime of over 500 other eyewitnesses, then Christ is alive. Christ is alive. He is not dead. He is risen. Number two, preaching this gospel is powerful and it's true. Everything that Jesus and those whom he sent out as apostles said is true. And with the lifeblood of the resurrection running through its veins, then the gospel is the power of God applied to the salvation of everyone who believes. Number three, then Christ wins. And our faith in him is effective, not in vain. He's reigning. He's the reigning king who conquered all things, even sin and death. He will judge the earth on, on a day. A fixed day that is coming. We see that in Acts 17, right? Acts 17, 30. And Paul preached this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring that all men, to men, that all people everywhere should repent. Why? Verse 31. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead so praise all praise to the glorious gracious God of the Bible because he the the just and gracious creator of all things looked upon hopelessly sinful mankind like you and me and he sent his son Jesus Christ God The God-man, God in flesh, to bear his wrath against our sin on the cross, to demonstrate his power over death and the success of his sacrifice and his resurrection, so that all who turn from their sin and themselves and trust in Jesus Christ alone will be reconciled to God forever. They will live to please him and they will experience the promise of eternal life, enjoying God forever in heaven. And the result of this, church, Number four, we ought to be the most thankful people on earth. We ought to be the most thankful people on earth. Because Jesus is alive and reigning, those who trust in Christ can know that God has called us to a living hope with an abundant inheritance that will be transformed and kept by his great power. And what else can can this produce in a believer's heart but thankfulness, humility, As Paul said later on in this very same chapter, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 57. So friend, are you struggling to hold on to the truth of the gospel? Are you losing the fight against this materialistic world around you? Wondering if if anyone could be raised from the dead, let alone Jesus? Then look to the gospel. Look to the very passage that we've talked about tonight and be reminded. 
Remember that this is the testimony of an eyewitness within the lifetime of over 500 other eyewitnesses. If somebody knew anything different, they could have proved him wrong. And yet, this testimony still stands. Remember that these are verifiable events. Christ's death and resurrection for you. They are the very ground on which you stand before God. They are the very means by which you have been saved, by which you are being saved. Praise the Lord for providing this redemption for us and for documenting it for our assurance. Now, if you're not trusting in Jesus and you remain unconvinced after this time in the Word, then I would, I would ask you then, if I could answer every single question that you have, Convincingly, right? After all your questions are answered, would you then trust in Jesus? Is that even a possibility in your mind? Because my suspicion is, like we've talked about in this series already, that the belief has moral, not intellectual roots. So maybe I should ask you a different question then. If, if I could ask you, if I could answer all your questions and you still wouldn't believe, then, then what sin or what sins are so precious to you that you would choose to enjoy them for a little while instead of an eternity of enjoying the God who made you and who loves you completely? Because that fixed day is coming where this loving and righteous judge will judge the world through one man, that man, Christ Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, whom you are actively rejecting. And his judgment will be just. I, I won't say that you have nothing to lose in trusting Jesus, uh, but in Christ a million years from now, enjoying him and being completely satisfied in him, I think whatever it is that you feel that you fear you will lose will pale in comparison to that. Will pale in comparison to the satisfaction that you've found in him. How I pray that you will trust in Jesus for salvation right where you are right now. And finally, to that one in four who claims to be a Christian but feels no need to believe in Jesus' resurrection. The one who, if you're sitting there and you still think... You don't have to believe in the resurrection to be a good Christian. Um, probably you could identify with C.S. Lewis's character named Puddle Glum, right? Puddle Glum the Marsh Wiggle, which feels weird just to say. But he's a character from uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia book entitled The Silver Chair. Um, he's the one that said, I'm on Aslan's side. Remember the great lion? I'm on Aslan's side even if there is no Aslan to lead it. And I'll admit at first, that sentiment sounds, sounds really noble. Noble, admirable even. But what you're effectively saying in that is that Christianity is just a, a point, a, a moral code, a point of view that you've chosen. And that equipped with such things, you can hold yourself up as a Christian, as a Christian, right? Even if Christ himself isn't alive to uphold you. That you can do that armed with a certain set of logic, a certain code, a certain set of principles. Friends, that's what the Bible calls having a form of godliness, a form of it, but denying its power. 
the form will crumble eventually because the form needs the power to sustain it. Being a, being a Christian, having true biblical faith means that you are trusting not just a set of ideals, not just a set of moral objectives. Being a Christian means that you're actively trusting in someone. The Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, Galatians 2.20. And you can't actively trust a God whom you believe is dead. I'm praying the Lord will open your eyes to the truth of his word and the reality of your condition that either you're a believer who's straying from the truth or you're an unbeliever that's been blinded by the lie of, a, of another gospel, a false gospel. And, and hear me, any gospel that denies that Jesus raised from the dead is a false gospel. I pray that God would grant, would grant you clarity on this so that in the end, your hope will be in the resurrected, reigning Jesus Christ and in him alone. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for sustaining me and, and proclaiming it. And I pray that you would work in our hearts now that you, uh, for those that, that are trusting in Christ but are straying, that you would encourage them. That you would, uh, I thank you that your testimony and your word is that you're a faith builder, not a faith destroyer. That a, that a, a bruised reed he will not break, uh, a smoldering wick he will not quench. But Lord, that, you, that you, you build up those that are in you. And Father, I thank you that, you that you love even those that aren't trusting in you. Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those that hear these words, that you, they would hear this testimony from your word, that they would see that they're not in Christ, that you would make it abundantly clear to them, that you would... You would hound them with this understanding that they would not be able to get away from it, that they will not, that, that this word will not rest until it produces its, its end effect in them, that they will, they will see the beauty of Jesus Christ, that they will see the depth of their depravity and their need, their need for someone to save them, not just from uh, being extinguished, not just from, from ceasing to exist, but from an eternity in hell under the wrath of God. And that you've provided that in your son, Jesus Christ. That they would trust in you and be saved. Father, would you work in us for your glory and for our good. Lord, we love you. I love you and I thank you so much for the treasure of your word. Thank you for how you've thought of everything. And you've given us this testimony, Lord, for our assurance, for our clarity to be able to stand surely upon the gospel. Lord, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I hope this has been beneficial to you. Thank you so much for studying with me, and I can't wait to see you this Sunday. God bless.